Hello and welcome to Moods and Tea, and as we continue our look at female directors of note, Journey now takes us to A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. But of course I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is our own skateboarding, welding, fashionista, Miss Kim Lowe. <laughs> I wish. Hello. <laughs> as I said uh, already, we are going tonight we are going to be looking at A Girl Walks Home, Walks, there. We're going to watch A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night by a director whose name I can never pronounce. I don't know if you want to have a go at tackling this one, Kim. Uh, Anna Lily Amirpour? Yeah, it's know. the last part that always uh, throws off, but uh, certainly a director who, with this film, um, exploded onto the scene with a very unique voice. It's, uh, she gave us what has been touted as... Uh, Iran's first vampire movie. Uh, since then, she went on to dis- direct The Bad Batch for Netflix, a film starring Jason Momoa and an almost an unrecognizable Jim Carrey alongside Keanu Reeves doing his cool hipster thing. Uh, but A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, when we were compiling the list of films that we wanted to talk about, this was one of the films that I personally wanted to put across because it's a film that I put off when it initially came out because I thought oh my god this is just like really sort of art school nonsense and I saw The Bad Batch and just kind of became obsessed with this director the more I sort of learned about her and in particular listening to the interview that she did with um, Elijah Wood on his SpectreVision podcast who obviously are responsible for putting this film out and SpectreVision if you're not aware is a production company owned by Elijah Wood it's one of the smaller of the uh, big horror sort of labels at the moment because we obviously have the likes of A27 and um, Bloomhouse Productions and then obviously we've got SpectreVision who not only give Elijah Wood a reason to do quirky horror projects but also have been responsible not only for this film but also for recruiting Richard Stanley from the wilds of wherever he was been hiding out since uh, since Hardware to uh, obviously come back into the fold and uh, bring us a colour from outer space. But, Kim, I mean, was this a film you'd seen before, or this is the first time watch for yourself as well? This is a first time watch for me. I mean, it's been a movie that's been on my list for a while, but I, I, I'm kind of those people which it, it takes a little like convincing, I guess, sometimes to, to get into I don't know, just foreign movies, foreign like I just don't know the language at all. <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes good to. Uh to just sort of like to sort of like just push yourself off that cliff at times and like force yourself into these wonderful situations and I think certainly one of the advantages of this show is that we can do such things to ourselves um, and give ourselves an excuse to look at uh, these sorts of films but, but the film is set in the Iranian ghost town known as Bad City uh, where the local riverbed is uh, dried out and now filled with bodies and has really become a a almost a ghost town filled with the filled with drug dealers and prostitutes and the lost alike. As it's here that um, we're introduced to Arash, who has um, been tasked with taking care of his heroin addicted father, Hossein, and at the same time has to deal with the local drug dealer named Saeed, who. Um, a number of situations leads leads um, Arash to encounter a the local vampire 
who um, known only as the girl who spends her nights skateboarding for the city harassing the residents and generally preying on the bad men of the city to, for her blood fix and it's through this uh, chance encounter that Arashar and Vox and this very unusual and unlikely relationship as the two find a way to find it find a way to discover what's been missing from their lives. Um, certainly a very art house sort of movie and a very sort of abstract and minimalistic film. This is uh, she sees Amarabor very much working in the same sort of style that we've seen from the likes of Gregoraki and certainly for some films from like uh, Sofia Coppola such as Somewhere. But um, yeah, I mean, opening thoughts on this one. I mean, this is certainly one of the more trickier films I would say for us to look at in a critical sense and especially I think it uh, brings back to the similar sort of issues we had when we looked at certain Sofia Coppola movies as this is a movie where not a lot happens and when describing it, it might not sound like the most interesting movie but at the same time for myself at least it was a, a very fascinating experience yeah I would agree I mean I think as with everybody art house movies are very it, it can lean either way, pretty much, most of the time. But this one is, like, is really good. I mean, y when you look at it visually, with the black and white, and using those different tones to build the story, visually, it's an absolute experience. Uh, it uses it to build the atmosphere. It uses it to kind of create this, this g the girl's character, and, you know, that kind of subtlety and that kind of I don't know unsettling feeling that she has as she's harassing these people that probably with color it might not have felt the same um, at the same time you have this kind of I don't know maybe you have this whole story with uh, just the city itself you get you get such a good idea of of what it is and I guess just all these characters that we have and it's really interesting because when you look at say imdb these people these different characters are pretty much other than arash himself they're they're mostly known for the roles that they play like the prostitute the pimp the whatever you know um <laughs> you know the junkie and they're all nothing very good they're not good people pretty much there there's nothing good linked to them but at the same time you know this is this is just like you know when we were looking at chronos and Guillermo del Toro had a different take on a vampire movie in that case. I think that um, Anna Lily Amirpour, definitely, she had a different view of, say, crafting this vampire movie. And it's, it's different because it's not bloody. It's not, you know, you don't see that gore. You don't see that sort of, that's, that sort of, uh, that the just you know all the blood and gore that you would new usually get in a vampire movie, but at the same time, you have this kind of like sleazy kind of world where, say, I think the best comparison would be, um, I mean, in the black and white sense, would be something like Quentin Tarantino Sin City, right? Yeah, Ro yeah, Robert Rodriguez's Sin City. So you have this different. So you you have that kind of comparison where. Um, it feels like, especially because, you know, that one's called Sin City, this one's Bad City, so <laughs> you kind of have that, you kind of draw these different, 
um, connections with the people. And as they all these people, all these characteristics kind of come together, you kind of the story really comes together like that. And I mean, it's just I mean, I, I honestly think the best thing about this is the camera work. The camera work is fantastic with how she focuses it and some scenes on the sides are blurry and then some are completely in focus. Sometimes it's just like it's still camera and then the people are moving through it. It's it's really, really nice. Like, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what else I can say about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, when certainly with the... The fact, I mean, you say it already, it was shot in black and white and it joins that sort of small group of movies where they were intentionally shot in black and white, such as like Joss Whedon's adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing and The Artist. Uh, films that choose to shoot in this artistic style rather than following the trend that we've seen now where you have films releasing colours such as like Logan and Mamax Fury Road and then they get the chrome treatment. And even Parasite recently got a black and white cut and I was like well, why would you release Parasite in a black and white cut it makes no sense at all but this film as I said it sets out to intentionally should be shot in black and white and it's in many ways it's an homage to the uh, 1922 German expressionist film Nosferatu which certainly this vampire takes more of its cues from even though it's not anywhere sort of like grotesque it's this beautiful Rockabilly-esque woman who, as I said, she wears a headdress and, and skateboards at night. And she fit, blends very much in with the city. She's not got this sort of timelessness to her character. She's not, like, lived a thousand years or seen, like, a thousand things that, that we'd expect from the vampire mythos. Um, here we have a character who's very much in tune with the world around her and could very much easily have been like turned like last week um she doesn't have that sort of like timelessness to her sort of character but certainly Nosferatu is a big sort of inspiration to her along with the more interestingly um the spaghetti westerns of Sergio Leone uh, this idea of like the mysterious lone anti-hero with vig vigilante streaks so she certainly takes many interesting sort of routes for this character and for myself I'm not a huge vampire fan when it comes to horror and I'm always more interested if you're doing vampires that you do something different you give me a new spin that I've not seen before and you be it like the nomadic vampires of near dark or if we're looking at um, any sort of like the vampire movies which uh, try to break away from just you know dusty castles and bad accents and basically the same sort of vampires that we saw with like Christopher Lee so you know give me like Lost Boys or just some sort of modern twist on, on it and I think that's what I really like about the vampire that we see here even though mm -hmm. the vampire sort of element is very much played back it's very it only really sort of shows itself when she decides to uh, to feed and in, even then it's it's not sort of like this drawn out thing, it's more like a, a primal hunting thing rather than something that's sort of like drawn out for like sort of the anti the horror of um, and uh, uh, based around the anticipation of the act being carried out Yeah, and I think one of the main things of what really works for her character is the, the girl is basically a huge contrast obviously the way that she she interacts with, say, because she, she's generally a quiet character. She doesn't really say much at all throughout the entire movie. 
And the only time you see her really interact is one time when she's scaring the little kid into being a good boy. <laughs> which was a very entertaining scene. <laughs> Might have been one of my favorites. Um, and then there was there was also, you know, the, the interaction she has with Arash. But at the same time, when she turns into her full-blown, you know, just being a vampire, it's a very, it's, it's really, it's probably not as, it, it's scary in the sense when you first happens because her teeth just kind of like come out yes. really quickly, <laughs> abruptly. It just goes like, shh. You know, and then it just comes out. And then all of a sudden, it's like she she has this look on her face that changes. And I really think that the actress did a fantastic job of just having the, you know, being able to emote through her facial expressions so well to just have that sudden change and really see that she is quite a lethal person. So it's a big contrast to when she's outside or when she's just walking around but i mean even her getup, like her whole headdress and long flowing i don't know what you call it I would shawl. Say, yeah we we'll say shawl know. something like that it goes all the way to the ground and she's just like you know it's just like a black and white figure and then she's just slowly walking down the street and then whenever she i think one of the creepy moments is when she's just appearing suddenly in the background and then she's like blurry in the background or whatever. And in those harassing moments where she's just going after these different people that she is, it really, there's this really huge unsettling feeling because suddenly she'll be gone and then suddenly she'll just be following them. And it seems that every single encounter, she treats it a little differently and it's done in a little, in a little different way. And that gives it a little bit of this, um, it's just really fresh to watch because it's not just like a repetitive act. No, not at all. I mean, it's really the people that she she preys upon. They're always the bad people, such as um, when she she preys on the pimp at the beginning. And I mean, the whole uh, the whole vampire act has got more in common with a snake, especially with mm. the suddenly expanding fangs. Than it does yeah. with like the more traditional sort of vampires that attack. These aren't just like frenzy, bloody attacks or just like uh, these seductive moves. It's just basically she uses her feminine charms to allow her access into the situations, and then she, if she chooses to feed, then she just does with such sudden ferocity. It's and we see it. There's a scene where she um, feeds on a homeless man, and you see her sort of like sway back and forth, and it's like suddenly strikes in. On this, uh, on this guy, it's no sort of like seductiveness to it. It's just such a primal urge to feed. But she's trained herself just basically feed on the bad people. But I mean, she's also fortunate, as I said, she's in Bad City where nobody really seems to exist. It's it's almost like a this limbo sort of state that people are constantly in. I mean, the fact, as we said already, the dried riverbed is just full of bodies, as we see in the mm -hmm. beginning, and it. It was kind of humorous that we see um, Arash and he's sort of like walking the street and he picks up this cat that he finds and he's walking over the bridge and you like look out into the background and there's just like all these bodies that are just like lining the riverbank and it's completely doesn't phase him at all. He just carries on with walking with this like adorable cat that he's just found. <laughs> and it's the craziest thing because the cat has quite a lot of movie time, screen time. It does. 
and and it's and in in reality you think about it the the key is in the cat right hmm. in the end what pulls everything together is the cat's existence and where it happens to show up right so i mean i mean being i i would assume both of us i think since we have studio cats we're both cat people i honestly like <laughs> seeing cats in movies when they're not being harmed <laughs> I, I was surprised the cat made it to the end. I thought there's a couple of moments where this cat is gonna, it's not gonna make it to the end credit, but it's, it managed to hang in there. This, this wide-eyed thing that it is, but um, yeah, I, it's kind of interesting. As I said, with the girl being as detached as as she is, um, in it, with the sort of interaction she has, yet at the same time so connected to the world around her, like we see her when she's in her apartment and she's doing her makeup and she's dancing to records and she has all these connections to like pop culture, and at the same time she her actual connections with humanity are very, uh, she's very detached as we like uh, when she meets the the prostitute, um, and. She's like follows her home, and somehow she ends up back at this, this prostitute's house, and she's like almost fascinated by the humanity of these people, and it's just like this woman who, because of her life that she's choosing to live, is now sort of so detached as well that uh, she feels no desire for anything, and it sort of like fascinates this uh, this vampire that she doesn't that she doesn't prey on her at all. She doesn't. She just sort of like has this fascination with her story before she like moves off and back out into the night and essentially I would zoom on to the onto the next um, encounter really for her. So But um how did you find her relationship with Arash? Because like any like all the everything in this film, it's not a traditional sort of uh, romance. I mean they originally meet and he's dressed as Dracula. Um <laughs> And they have this weird seduction scene where he pierces her ears, and they they sort of dance to this uh, this song on the radio while they connect over like the importance of sad songs. All of these things that are such like real sort of art house film student pretentiousness that they can be shown at. Yet at the same time, the way that um, she she directs it is just so engaging. It, I didn't really care the fact that so much of this scene is not really about anything at all. It's just scenes that can be shot just because they're pretty to look at. So I didn't feel that feel that I needed like all this all like, substance and like and storyline. I was just happy just following these characters around and watching them just do what they do. It was just really, it was just really so engaging and just like having a movie wash over you. Yet at the same time, I was so glad that. I was watching it by myself because if I had subjected someone else to this, I would just be like so distracted, constantly looking over and going, are they bored? Are they not getting this? I mean, <laughs> how are they feeling? It would, it's the worst situation uh, to be in when you watch something like this with someone else. Well, I, I think, I think, you know, obviously I'm going to talk, I'm going to address the, a rash and the girl situation, okay. in a bit, but, but talking about like the, you know, I think as, people who are pretty much film buffs and we we watch a lot of movies and a big range of movies our acceptance of movies are a little bit more than other people so to ask someone to watch artsy fartsy movies are very very hard because most of the time the association is going to be slow and boring and you know every once in a while there will be like a gem that you know someone will absolutely love but 
sometimes it's a little hard. I mean, especially even if you're talking about Spectre Vision, which makes which acquires really great movies. And 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 they make really great movies in general, but they they're but you know, there's a lot of quirkiness to the things that they they release in general. And I mean, a girl walks home alone at night is definitely one where if you told anybody the title, they'll be like, "What?" <laughs> 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 is that supposed to be interesting um you know you'd, you'd hesitate a little right i remember when i first heard of this movie i had no idea it was a vampire movie i thought it was just like some crap drama <laughs> and then i decided and then and then i when i was i when i saw it on shutter i realized i was incredibly wrong <laughs> but yeah i mean if we go back to you know the movie um Arash and the girl, their relationship is is not the, you know, it, it's obviously not typical. And I think it, it, for both of them, what they really are looking for is this connection. Because for her, she's alone. She's pretty much, you know, she's a vampire. She can't be with anybody else. She's just going to want to eat them at one point. Um, but then, on, this, on the other hand, Arash has a really tough life also. I think getting the cat was kind of like companionship for him in some ways. Kind of like a buffer in the home with his junkie, junkie dad. Um, but at the same time, when he meets this girl, they don't really know each other that well, and he she kind of rejects him all, all the time. <laughs> the only thing she's done is accept the earrings and lets him po- pierce his ears, pierce her ears. Mm. Um, and then she kind of walks off, you know? So it's kind of weird how he he you know he feels this connection with this girl knowing nothing about her and then in the end it's kind of like the ultimate decision, right? Whether of what he's going to do. Yes, I mean certainly the film does that wonderful thing of putting her in this real sort of tricky position of like does he accept her for what she is? Or does he does he ultimately reject her? Because I mean, it comes down to not what she's she has done; it's just more about what she is. I find this is my sort of reading but, of the film. Not to obviously try to spoil too much. Is, but the thing is, does is it really is is it really because the only thing she said is you don't know what I've done, right? Yes. And then he realizes that you know she's obviously the person who's responsible for a death pretty much close to him yes and 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 at that point what what do we think about is all he knows is that she killed someone he doesn't know that she's a vampire he still at this point doesn't know she's a vampire yeah i mean the fact you could just say the fact that she's a killer in that respect yeah then. i exactly. mean you can certainly look at that but at the same time he even says that he's got his own questionable past which we obviously know about because of his involvement in the local drug trade and and uh sort of with uh the local prostitutes as well i mean his you mentioned already i mean his father here played by uh marshall manish who the wonderful character actor that uh he is and it was kind of interesting to see him do a serious role because I've constantly seen him like turn up in things such as like How I Met Your Mother, where he um, played the taxi driver and he was in Will and Grace, and he's in um, 
been quite a number of like the American sitcoms. He's also in uh, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies as well. So he's one of these directors, who, uh, one of these actors who constantly turns up uh, places. I mean, he was also in True Lies, which I didn't realize until we started looking into this film because I, I saw I saw him and I was like, why do I know this actor from somewhere? And he's all like, I don't watch a lot of Iranian cinema, so it can't be that. Um, and then I realized, oh wait, he was um, the taxi driver in How I Met Your Mother. And here he is, obviously doing in a role which reminded me. And I don't again, if you don't watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia, this analogy might be lost to you. But certainly, when I look at um, Arash and his father, it reminded me of like basically the the um, this film's version of um, Charlie and um, Frank from from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I mean, certainly with uh, Hussein, he's you mentioned him, and he's a heroin junkie, he's an absolute mess of a parent, and then you've got a rash who's basically trying to keep it all together. He feels obviously the responsibility because of it, him being his father, and at the same time tries to, um, he feels that he can somehow save his father, especially when uh, Saeed is removed from the picture, and he basically, Arash gets to essentially just pick up his turf. Um, it, you get this feeling that because he now controls like the drugs and trade for the local for the town, that um, he's somehow going to be able to save his father, which uh, ultimately doesn't prove to be the case. Um, as we have that uh, very weird sequence of where he's where he first of all throws his father out, and then his father engages in a needle sharing um, experiment with. Um, uh, with Atisi, the the prostitute who we who appears, and it's just kind of interesting that we have like what five characters and how they inter go in and out of each other's life. You see, like one a character like appear in one person's story and then sent up in someone else's, and just how these uh, five characters' lives inter interlink with each other's is is very fascinating to watch as the film unfolds. How awkward was that heroin sequence for you? <laughs> the, the one with the prostitute yeah I mean they're sharing needles which is just maybe sketchy as all hell yeah um, but it's also the fact that it's also the fact that he's kind of forcing himself on her I know you know like <laughs> it's not he's he's in this weird world like they're he has this I don't know I don't know if he's feeling like he's being haunted by his wife or something like that and then he sees like this woman that is is that he he thinks is his wife or looks like his wife or something. I don't know what it is. There has some connection with this, this, this character with his wife. And I just don't know what it is. Um, but I mean, that scene was, you know, it, it kind of like before he was just a sad, pathetic junkie and dad. And then that moment turned him into a bad guy. You know, like he was genuinely a bad guy, you know? Um, and, you know, all of a sudden it really felt like he, I don't know. I don't know what we were supposed to feel in that scene. What, are you supposed to feel bad for him? Or are you supposed to feel, you know, like he's a really shitty human being? He's a really <laughs> shitty human being. I think it's basically by him committing such an act, he essentially puts himself in the, the feeding pile for, for the girl. Yeah. So we have to see him being this shitty person because it's not enough for him just to be a junkie. Um, yeah. He has to be 
um, a shitty person to be to fall into sort of her criteria uh, because yeah. this this thing because the girl just randomly appears out of nowhere to attack him and it's well I wouldn't say you know there's this weird thing is I start wondering if the cat had something to do with it like <laughs> is it like she can sense it through the cat or something because the cat was there right the cat's always there yeah this, certainly like, you had this like interestingly like this I think it was at that moment we had that close focus of the cat and the cat's face and then all of a sudden we had her walking down the uh, the, uh, the the street she turns around looks at this building and then she's like and then whew, she's inside you know and then she's attack type of thing <laughs> so I don't know I, I don't know like there's a but that's the thing is there's a lot of the story which kind of like is a mystery and how it connects together and how it all works but i feel like there's something more that we're supposed to catch in there um maybe little clues that like maybe that's been missed because it's our first viewing or something like that i don't know i mean it's a foreign language film so there's a lot of things that i feel while i'm reading the subtitles i've missed kind of thing yeah i mean certainly it's I mean, this is the thing with uh, Amrapour's works. I mean, because they're so heavily stylized um, and that she's so sort of focused on, like, mixing and meshing of cultural backgrounds and genres, I think at times it's... She, these worlds she creates are so... have got such depth to them. They've got all these layers to them that it sometimes takes a couple of watches to sort of untangle it all. Um, and I think suddenly we're sort of in this... this this privileged position of being able to, you know, sit down and, and, and drink tea and discuss these movies, which sometimes I think you need in films like this and Dogtooth. You occasionally need to, like, sit down and go, okay, so I wasn't the only one confused by this. Let's break this down. And by d- doing that, you kind of, sort of often, like, appreciate a film even more or at least be able to sort of untangle the many parts at, at play here. But, yeah, certainly with the, the cat, I mean, as I said, the cat's, like, this ever-present character in this this story and with the obviously by having the girl um choose to to feed on on the on that particular character i mean it obviously creates this level of conflict because obviously here we have someone close to a rash because it's his father who's been fed and at the same bit t- same time he's now got this uh, he's got to do with this he's got this situation where the girl he's into has essentially killed his father um and it creates this sort of like this this conflict which obviously the end of the film kind of hinges on mm-hmm. but um yeah it's it's like i mean as i said it's like that sad songs uh, scene where they're at the they're hanging around outside the power plant where rash and the girl were having a discussion about the sad songs and so then when we had the heroin sequence it's shot in in almost so like slow motion it's so interesting to to look at um and at the same time kind of horrifying the fact that you've got someone being forced into embark on this this heroin trip with someone because that they feel it's going to somehow create this connection that uh that they want so <laughs> but uh yeah it was certainly uh it was unnerving i think i said the fact it's just the people sharing needles it's like oh my god because <laughs> we're used to people obviously shooting up heroin, but we're not used to people seeing like junkies sharing needles. It's like, no, oh, that's sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that was really good about the um, 
the movie, I think, was, um, at least for me, was I thought the mm. soundtrack was uh, amazing. Like, amazing. It added so much to the movie. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, certainly music is a huge part of um, her sort of style. And she builds yeah. it. Like Tarantino, she builds her films around music. And the... She takes it with uh, Wes Tarantino. It's all about you know creating this idea, a sense of place and setting, and what music goes with these particular scenes. It's for herself. It's really sort of inspires, like you know, the outfit a character might wear, like what the music that a certain character would listen to. And certainly in the case of the the girl or the woman, however you wish to choose to her, the fact that she adopts this almost this rockabilly sort of style. Uh, because of the music that she's into, and again, it was still kind of fascinating watching a vampire do her makeup and go through this whole sort of like very normal sort of routine, rather than uh, than in other vampire movies we've seen where they they never seem to put such time into their appearance. Yet they all even they turn up sort of like immaculately turned out at all times. So, so to see this, as I said, to see these like really gorgeously shot sequences of her doing like eye makeup or dancing like in her room to records and stuff it's just really it's things that um, were just like so engaging on, on on this unexplainable sort of level and I think to really sort of enjoy this film and much like The Bad Batch I think it's one of those films that's like best to just like wash over you rather than just sit there and question like what's supposed to be happening and I think if you start mm -hmm. questioning what's happening every few minutes you're going to sort of like pick up on the fact there's sort of lack of story and it's sort of it's going to sort of unravel more whereas if you just like go with the flow and just enjoy what you've been shown I think you enjoy it a lot more certainly for myself at least that's how I, I approached it so it um it makes it a little more difficult to because it's one of the films that you now could then create a like the perfect sort of uh, time to watch it. Like you can't watch it when you got people like clanging and banging around around at you and stuff. It's, <laughs> it's like just give me five minutes, bloody peace, people. <laughs> or you like the cat needs something, or your kids need something. You you can't appreciate this film because you need. It's a film that demands such attention from yourself, just from its the, how arresting its visuals are. But to constantly be snapped back into your not so exciting <laughs> reality is a bit distracting, to say the least. A lot of times, I think, with movies like this, it's it's really just a viewing experience. Um, you have to kind of let it embody you, wash over you, kind of really be engaged in it. Um, and it's not hard to really, you know, be pulled into this one. Um, I mean, that's coming from me. I'm not a big fan of black and white movies, even if it's deliberate. <laughs> I really, I really don't, like, I, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of black and white movies in general. Um, I know that about myself because I recently watched a black and white movie, which everybody loves and I don't, but I'm reviewing it soon, so I'm not going to say it now. Okay. Um, <laughs> and But although it's going to be out by the time this 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 podcast goes up, I believe. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, this movie is, is interesting, I think. It's, intriguing soundtrack is good there's a lot of things that i think the execution was done really well in the balance of how it's all executed um i mean like we were talking about soundtrack choice is really good but when there's no soundtrack there's really nothing it's really just quiet yes 
dead air. <laughs> it's, it's, it very much matches the atmosphere of this this town. I mean, as I said, this is a exactly. desolate ghost town. Exactly. So the- there's like this ghost town, this isolation, this um, I don't know, this I don't know, lonely vibe, this. It, this unsettling, unnerving feeling that just is like something bad is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen, but when is it going to happen type of thing. And you really do feel it that way. Um, I mean, I'm no, like, I just like you, I mean, I, I'm not, this is probably one of, maybe I've watched another Iranian movie at one point. I can't remember it right now. But, like, this is the one I... I think this is my first one, if it isn't. <laughs> so, it's not a, like, I don't know how... Really I don't know how shines. these movies are generally... You know, I don't really know how these movies are... You know, Iranian movies are generally done and the vibes that they give, you know? So, but, I mean, judging from this one, I would I would definitely be interested in seeing how other Iranian movies are are, are, are done in that sense. You know, like, what other movies they have to offer. Yeah, I mean, certainly when um, when it comes to Iranian cinema, and it's not one of those like areas of foreign cinema that sort of like leaps out to you that people are sort of excited about. It's not like um, you know, like French, German, or Asian cinema where we've got this idea of what style and subjects are are sort of popular yeah. within within the sort of field. So it's kind of interesting in that respect. I mean, to say it's given us different actors, it's given us different locations and ideas to play around with. But at the same time, I think. When you look at uh, Amrapour and her work, I mean, she's so individual as a director. It's hard to like look at this as an example of Iranian cinema, mm-hmm. because I mean, here we have a director who is kind of baffled by the idea of people wanting to apply feminist theory to her films. She, if people want, to, she she openly says, I mean, she it's kind of reserved to applying feminist thought to her films. If people want to obviously apply film, that sort of ideas to her films, she said they're more than welcome, but it's not the way that I create the films. Even going to cite that uh, when Tarantino made Kill Bill, did people say he was being a feminist? It's weird. I wonder, I'm like, oh, a female, I, and she's so battling misogamy. So she's very much uh, someone who walks to her own beat. And she also has this obsession with outcasts in particular, as we see with both this film and The Bad Batch. It's all about, all her characters are basically these sort of outcasts, these people finding their way in these worlds. Um, And I just like the fact that she, she just does what she wants to do. And she's in that sort of fortunate situation where, She's able to do it, yet at the same time not make it completely sort of um, so that so that it pushes out the audience um, as you know the likes of like some like David Lynch's work does, where it's so sort of out there. Um, with Aramor, it's very much on the scale in more the line with like the likes of Greg Araki, where we've been shown this worlds of outcasts and surreal imagery um but at the same time it's still got that familiarity to still keep us drawn into the story and i think i'm just really interested to see where she where she goes next i mean she's obviously working on a male uh male sent sorry a female centered uh remake of cliffhanger and uh she has uh, another film which has been a delay called mona lisa and the blood moon which is uh currently been delayed due to um 
due to the COVID, I believe, at the moment. So at the, at the moment, it's um, it's still stuck in that sort of release hell at the moment. So hopefully, we'll see a release of that at some point soon. So, but um, I mean, are you have you seen the Bad Batch? I haven't. It's on my list. I keep thinking about it, and then I skip over it. Every okay. Time. I know there's people out there who didn't like it, but then again, people didn't like this movie as well. So, I I don't know. It's again, it's hard to say. We like just because you like this film, would you like uh, that film or as well? But um, I know I certainly like the Bad Batch, but you know, again, this could be like a whole other sort of where you go down. Because I mean, I've the amount of arguments I've created defending Southland Tales, and people have told me I'm how wrong I am on that one. But you know. I think uh, to that extent, I I kind of want to also put Richard Kelly in the same sort of filmmaking category as Aaron Porter, although Richard Kelly is again someone who who's very much of his own um, his own thing, as we obviously saw with Donnie Darko, as we've discussed on the show before. So, mm. um, but um, yeah, is there anything else you want to bring up on this one? No, I'm done. Okay. Uh, if you wanted to get a taste of uh, Aaron Paul's uh, film taste, though, and she had top ten picks from the Criterion Film Collection, including Mulholland Drive by David Lynch, The Fisher King by Terry Gillingham, All Hatter by the Tsar by Robert Brayson, Antichrist by Lars von Trier, Days Confused by Richard Linklater, Being John Malkovich by Spike Jones, Repulsion by Polanski, and Fantastic Mr. Fox by Wes Anderson, which is really random. Uh, Repo Man by Alex Cox, which I would certainly put as being a big inspiration for this film, is so the same sort of outlaw filmmaking there, and uh, and God Created Woman by Roger Vadim, which I think in many ways uh, you can get the idea of the sort of directors whose works that she admires and uh, certainly who inspire her at all. But I think when it comes to Aaron Paul, I'm, she's one of those directors and I'm glad he's out there making films, and I just wish that she was making more frequently so I could enjoy escaping to these worlds more. But um yeah i really enjoyed this one kim did what were your final thoughts this one did you enjoy this one would you recommend it or definitely recommend it i mean uh but i mean i think it's a it's a cautious recommending okay. because it's like we, we talked about this is an art house movie so it's it's subtle it's quiet it's slow not a whole lot happens but there is stuff happening um it's a lot of you know anticipation a lot of um style <laughs> mm. but there i would say there's still quite a bit of substance so it i think it really tests a little bit of the audience's patience and how much you appreciate i guess art house movies in general um but i mean if you like art house movies then this is definitely one that i would recommend <laughs> that's good do you want to chance with like further watching for like what you'd recommend to go with this? I mean, further watching. Um, I mean, right away, the first thing that came to my mind was um, uh, "Let the Right One In." Oh yeah, that's a good uh, choice. Sw- yeah, Swedish film. I mean, if not, I mean, I haven't seen the Swedish version, but I I figured the original was a better one to pair. But I mean, the U.S. remake was really good too. Um, Let me in. Uh, that was, both of them are great pairings, I would think. Yeah. Um, it, it it has a very similar, I think, feeling to it in the sense that it, it is something of a romance, uh, romance, vampire type of story, I think. Um, 
But I mean, other than that, I mean, I talked about it. If you wanted to have something that's based in a, you know, a kind of uh, city that's not too, not too good, <laughs> it would be Sin City would be one that I would pair with it as well. Um, it's a little bit more, you know, different type of style, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's, that's generally what I would say. And I mean, I thought about maybe Interview with the Vampire might be a good one to pair with it. But I'm not sure. I haven't fully convinced myself yet. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, for myself, I mean, obviously, watch The Bad Batch, uh, which she obviously directed as well. It's um, her take on, as she describes it, it's uh, like Pink Flamingos meets The Road Warrior. <laughs> take away from that what you want. Um, certainly in terms of other films to watch as well, Reaper Man Alex Cox is also a really fantastic uh, pairing with this uh, film I also want to like the part of me that just constantly wants to like uh, bring it back to Tigers uh, Tigers Aren't Afraid mm. I just think this would be really interesting to pair those two films together um, other than that I would uh, look at Gregor Aki's Doom Generation or Noah um, just for the more for the world building I think that they exist in very similar sort of worlds to this film so um even if uh, the, those worlds are sort of like more tinged in like nineties neon, then uh, then this film's obviously draped in in like um, expressionistic cinema, black and white. So, but um, yeah, I think this is a film that I would understand if you hated this as much as if you, if you came to me and said you enjoyed it. So I think whichever way uh, you choose to view this film, I think you're right either way. So it's perhaps not for all taste, but uh, one that I think is worth checking out and approach with minimal expectation just don't go into expecting anything and you'll probably, you'll probably come away more rewarded um, but that brings us obviously to the end of uh, tonight's episode thank you as always for listening you can obviously check out full archive episodes at moosandteapodcast.wordpress.com and whether you happen to be liking to us please do hit the like and subscribe buttons and maybe leave us a review as it all helps raise the profile of the show you can follow us on both on Facebook and Instagram. And we really appreciate any sort of feedback that you wish to leave us on the show. But, uh, Kim, where are we going next in our season of noteworthy female directors? Well, we're moving forward to 2016, and we're looking at a French horror film, <laughs> Raw, um, directed by Julia Ducourneau. Yes, we're going to be looking into uh, some body horror um in many ways as uh we look at this really incredible french uh french film which i think it, when it came out it had a lot of critics very excited as long with uh, horror fans as well and as a young veterinary surgeon vegetarian veterinary surgeon uh, for a hazing experiment uh discovers herself with uh, taste for meat and uh, we're just going to leave it at that. It's, uh, this is a film which goes in some very interesting directions indeed. Uh, but all that's totally come up on our next episode. But uh, thank you as well for listening. Thank you to my co-host Kim. And we'll be back next time to discuss Raw. Until then, good night. Good night.